MacCast, Sunday, December 18th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How are you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news, information, hints, tips, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. I hope you are doing well and having a wonderful day, week, weekend, whatever it may be. It's getting a little cold here where I am currently sitting at negative five degrees outside, but that's okay. I'm nice and warm here in the MacCast studio, so we're doing all right. We also got some snow this week, which is a whole new thing for, you know, this former Californian, but enjoying it nonetheless and looking like we're going to have a white Christmas, which will be nice. First time I've ever had one of those, so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you are looking forward to your holiday season, whatever one you celebrate or don't celebrate, but I just hope you're doing well in general. Looking over in the note, the notes this week, we do have quite a few things to get into. We're going to talk about Apple continuing to work on diversifying their supply chain. We're going to get into Apple TV Plus. It's that awards time again, and things are starting to ramp up for Apple TV Plus. We've got some OS updates to dig into. We'll talk about some of the features and things you can expect from that. There's some big news around what Apple might be doing with uh, apps and the App Store. Some interesting stuff and some things for us to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about some international news with expansion of some services into new areas for Apple, new countries. And, uh, and then we'll wrap things up with some potential new uh, Macs that might be coming in the pipeline. And we'll get into those and details and all that fun stuff. And then in the uh, feedback section, we have some follow-up to some of our HomeKit uh away mode conversation that we've been talking about over the past few episodes. We're going to get into background tasks again. I have a follow-up question from something we covered on a previous episode of the MacCast, and we'll dig in and give you a little more details there. And then a question about one of those new features that's in uh, in the OS updates that came out this week. And we'll dig in on that and see if we can't help a listener out uh, with some information. We'll do our best at it, uh, as we do here on the MacCast. So it should be a good episode. I say we just dive right into things, starting with Apple's supply chain. Apple looks to be ramping up production in India. This is according to a report from Mint, as noted by Mac Rumors. The piece cites a, quote, senior industry executive who claims that Apple is asking its suppliers to increase production in India, maybe by up to three times the current levels. As you may remember, Apple's been trying to diversify outside of China, and India is one of those big areas that a number of their suppliers have production facilities, and so Apple's asking them to ramp up over there, according to this report. The report also claims that another executive told them that Apple has asked three of their suppliers, Foxconn, Pegatron, and Winstron, all to increase production and staffing in India. So Apple about to make 
a lot more devices and things in other countries, which I think overall is going to be good for Apple, right? Diversifying the supply chain is good because it protects them from, you know, any one thing happening in a given region. And as we've seen with China recently, that has posed a problem. Apple's massive dependence on China has uh, caused some supply chain issues, as many of you who might be trying to get an iPhone 14 Pro for the holiday season might be experiencing. So I think diversification of the the supply chain overall is going to be a good thing for Apple. Here we go. We are in award season or approaching award season for TV shows and movies. And once again, Apple TV Plus is getting some nods as we approach it here. Apple's series and movies are getting noticed. This week we heard about Severance and Blackbird, both getting recognized with Golden Globe nominations in several categories. Severance got a nomination for Best Drama Series, Blackbird for Best Limited Series, Anthology Series, or Television Motion Picture. Adam Scott got Best Actor nomination for Severance. John Turturro also got Best Supporting Actor in a Television Series for Severance. And then Taron Egerton, I almost messed up his name there, got Best Actor in a Limited Series, Anthology Series, or Television Motion Picture for Blackbird. And Paul Walter Hauser also for Blackbird in Best Supporting Actor in a TV Limited Series Motion Picture. So a bunch of good nominations for Apple at the Golden Globes. If you haven't caught either of those series, I enjoyed both of them on Apple TV+. Plus. I think they're, they're really great. So not surprising to see that they got some award nominations there. Who Are You, Charlie Brown also won an Apple, won Apple TV Plus an Emmy at the first annual Children's and Family Emmy Awards. It received that award for Outstanding Nonfiction Program. I actually haven't caught that one yet, although I am a Charlie Brown fan. I've got all the specials running right now, so we already did Thanksgiving. Haven't done Christmas yet, but looking forward to that. Other Apple TV Plus shows also received nominations at the Children's and Family Emmy Awards. Series like Fraggle Rock, Hipsters, Hello, Jack, The Kindness Show also got nominations, but the Charlie Brown documentary was the only Children's and Family Emmy win for Apple. Apple told the publication Deadline this week that their new holiday musical film, Spirited, starring Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, is now the most popular Apple original film to date, breaking records for the streaming service. And they also said that the new Will Smith film, Emancipation, has brought 27% new viewers to Apple TV+. Apple is apparently planning a Mythic Quest spinoff series called Mere Mortals, and that will be an eight-episode extension of the Mythic Quest series. The new show will feature more stories that are like the popular Dark, Quiet, Death, or Backstory episodes of Mythic Quest. These were kind of shoot offshoots or tangentially related to the main story, and they, quote, explore the lives of the employees, players, and fans who are impacted by the game at the center of the Mothership series. If you haven't had a chance to catch Mythic Quest yet, it is one of my favorite series on Apple TV+. I think it's really funny and smart and really, really good. Uh, I am very excited that they're going to be continuing this because I think Dark Quiet Death was probably my favorite episode. So I'm looking forward to kind of these offshoot episodes. And I do know they're in their third season right now. We're kind of in the middle of it. And uh, they have been renewed for a 
a fourth season. So that is good news for those of us Mythic Quest fans out there. And then finally, in entertainment news for Apple, Apple still seems likely to win a deal with the NFL for their Sunday ticket service, but things seem to be coming to a head this week. This is according to a report from Sportico. They say negotiations are at a, quote, very critical point. Apparently, the main sticking point is that Apple wants the service to be available to current Apple TV Plus subscribers at no additional cost, but the NFL isn't too keen on that. They think that could hurt their deals with the current broadcast providers, CBS and Fox. And so Apple and the NFL seem to be butting heads, sounding like they're going to get the deal done. I hope Apple wins out on this one because I really think that would be a big win for customers. To have this at no additional cost would be amazing. There's going to be a lot of pushback from the NFL, so we're going to have to just step back, wait and see who wins this fight. But hopefully, no matter what happens, hopefully NFL Sunday Ticket is coming to Apple TV+. Apple released all of the updates to all of its OSs this week. iOS 16.2, iPadOS 16.2, tvOS 16.2, HomePod 16.2, macOS Ventura 13.1, and watchOS 9.2 were all released this week. There's probably too many individual features to go into, but we'll try to hit some of the highlights here. One of the big ones was Freeform, Apple's collaborative whiteboarding app that they promised. It's finally out and available. It looks really, really cool. Haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but definitely plan to. I did get to play around with Apple's new Apple Music Sing feature. This is the thing that basically lets you take Apple's lyrics and create karaoke-style uh, sing-alongs. You can do that by yourself or as a duet. Apple has a lot of their music in Apple Music available with that feature, but we'll get into that a little bit more and, and talk about it later in the show. Advanced data protection for iCloud is now out. That expands end-to-end encryption for 23 categories of iCloud data. If you want to know more about that, listen to the last episode of the MacCast where we dug into that new feature coming out. Airdrop for everyone for 10 minutes is a feature that was something that was originally released in China and Apple has now made that standard uh, across the board which I think this is great if you've ever used airdrop and turned on everyone and forgot to turn it off yeah that's a little bit scary so the fact that it's only on for 10 minutes and then that goes away I think that's ultimately a good thing External display support for Stage Manager on iOS for iPads with M-series processors. I know a lot of people were looking forward to that, uh, being able to kind of multitask and have that multi-window across uh, two displays as opposed to just one. It's a nice update. tvOS now has multi-user voice recognition for Siri. Uh, That is something that has been available in HomePod and is really, really cool, and it's nice to see them extend that to tvOS. And then HomePod software version 16.2, that adds performance and stability improvements. Apple doesn't have a lot of details there. And there were also dozens and dozens of security patch and vulnerability updates. So these are some critical updates. You're definitely going to want to update all of your devices and Macs and get these. And don't worry if you're on an older OS Apple has you covered there as well. There were also updates for iOS 15, iOS 15.7.2, 
iPad OS 15.7.2, also for Mac OS Monterey 12.6.2, or Mac OS Big Sur 11.7.2. So that's going to contain all of those critical security updates and patches that you might need for your older OSs. So go out, update, and upgrade your stuff now. I'm not really sure what alternate universe we've all fallen into this past week, but there was a report out from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman citing, quote, people familiar with the efforts claiming that Apple's engineering teams are working to open up their platform in advance of the EU's Digital Markets Act, which goes into effect in 2024. What are they saying? They claim that Apple will open up iOS and iPadOS to allow you to install apps from outside Apple's App Store and also allow alternative app stores on the platform. Yeah, it's kind of weird backwards world all of a sudden. I don't think this is anything I thought Apple would ever even consider. Uh, Apparently, they're doing it to comply with this Digital Markets Act, or at least looking into it. I wouldn't get excited about some new world of openness just yet, though, because while Gurman's report says basically Apple would kind of stop getting potentially their 30% cut of revenue, I'm not so convinced that That's where we're going to land. Right now, it's not even clear if this would be available everywhere or only in the EU. I would guess if Apple moves forward with it, it would be easier to make it available everywhere. So why wouldn't they, unless they do think it's going to significantly cut revenue? But that doesn't seem to be the consensus at this point. We'll talk about that here in a second. But I think Apple would actually likely still keep control and want their cut, and I think they still could do it. We saw them do this over uh, in the Dutch app store where they had to open up dating apps to third-party payment platforms. And there, if you use a third-party payment platform, Apple still takes a 27% cut. They just give back the 3% fee that you would have to pay typically to the other Uh, credit card fees, right? So they could still insist on uh, that piece. Also, I believe they would still insist on developers having to be registered with the App Store and have their apps signed and probably still have their apps vetted through Apple even before being allowed on a third-party App Store or being distributed directly to a consumer because that's a big part of their security piece with their operating system. So I think they could make a case and an argument for that. So I don't see those two things going away. And I don't know how that how that changes things very much. Another thing in the report was that Apple was considering opening up additional APIs to developers, which I think is ultimately a good thing, giving them access to more features that they don't currently have access to, and that they would possibly allow dropping the WebKit requirement from third party browsers. And I think that would be okay. I don't think that'd be too big a deal either. Um, so it'd be nice to get Chromium, you know, real true Chromium maybe on uh, Mac OS if that's something people wanted in, say, their Chrome browsers and, and things. So I don't see that as necessarily a negative. Now, getting back to this idea of having third-party app stores or alternate app stores on iOS, this I worry about a little bit. So imagine a world where a lot of your existing applications that you've purchased from the App Store or 
want to purchase from Apple's App Store now become exclusive or incentivized to be exclusive on an alternative App Store. So the Microsoft App Store, and we have the Adobe App Store, and we have the Epic App Store, and we have the Steam App Store, and on and on and on. And now all of your credit card information, all your personal information, all your data has to be distributed against these different app stores. You've got to go update at these different app stores. It just sounds kind of, to me, like a backward step almost. And I really, I would be concerned about the advantages of the current app store, which is I have all my information with a company I trust, Apple, secure in one place. And as a matter of fact, I think I'm not alone in those feelings because Analysts at Morgan Stanley got together and talked about this a little bit, and they believe because of the security and privacy advantages, even if Apple were to open this up, it would have little impact on Apple and their customers. As a matter of fact, they're predicting that less than 30% of Apple users would be very likely to use a third-party app store versus Apple's own. I guess unless you're forced to, right, with this exclusive kind of thing. But they also feel that even if 100% of Apple's App Store revenue from the EU went away, it wouldn't impact Apple's bottom line very much. They say Apple would suffer just about a 4% loss in total services revenue and about a 1% loss in total revenue. And they said even if it happened globally, Apple would only be impacted with a 9% loss to services revenue and a 2% loss to total revenue. Now, Apple's not going to be happy with any kind of loss, obviously, but that's not a huge, huge impact. So that just goes back to why it's probably not surprising that Apple is looking into this and considering what their options are going to be. Makes sense ahead of a 2024 deadline. They're going to have to do something so it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think they ultimately probably will open things up and we'll have to see how that goes. I just, again, have a little bit of a worry that we're going to get in this fragmented world and it's going to be like we are with our streaming services where I have to have a bunch of different ones and it's not all consolidated and it's just not this utopia. I know that the App Store is not perfect. It has some disadvantages for developers. It has some marketing challenges and, and that sort of thing. But I think the trade-off in the alternative universe that we might be moving into might not be better and in some ways could probably be worse than what we already have. But we'll have to wait and see. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts and opinions on this because I know a lot of you feel very strongly about maybe a more open world and Apple being a little bit more open. So let's have that conversation. Let's discuss what that might look like and uh, get into it. Shoot me some emails, uh, send me some audio comments, maccast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. Good news here, Apple has expanded their emergency SOS via satellite service to a number of other countries. They rolled out uh, the service to the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Ireland for iPhone 14 users. So that's great news. They've already had some success with that saving lives. So that is a critical feature, and it's nice that they've been able to roll it out as promised to some additional countries in 2022 and they did say that they plan to support more countries next year apple also rolled out updates to their maps app the the new updated maps 
features and functionality are now available in the Netherlands, Belgium, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, and Switzerland, along with Saudi Arabia and Israel. And I think a lot of those locations also got access, if not all of them, to Apple's look around Street View technology, which I think is amazing. I wish it was rolled out in more areas here in the US. I was kind of playing around to see what cities they're in. And it's definitely not everywhere here, but it looked like it was available in a lot of cities, at least in the Netherlands. I was zooming in and checking out a bunch of places there, and it seems to be available in many, many areas. So that is great news for you international Mac fans out there. And then finally, in the news for this week, let's get into some Mac news. Display analyst Ross Young thinks that Apple could introduce a new version of the M2 MacBook Air this spring with a larger 15.5-inch display. So we would get a second size in addition to the 13-inch model. He says the design would remain the same, but obviously you're going to get it in a bigger package. The display would not have some of the pro touches, though, like mini LED display, like a mini LED backlighting or promotion. So he claims that production would start in the first quarter of 2023. So we could have a new MacBook Air size on the horizon. Young is also predicting that there will be OLED display updates for the 13-inch MacBook Air along with the 11-inch and 12.9-inch iPad Pros, but doesn't expect that to come until 2024. So at this point, we're getting toward the end of the year, and many of us are wondering what is happening with the Mac Pro. Apple seems to have missed their two-year deadline for transitioning all Macs to Apple Silicon by quite a few months at this point, and the Mac Pro is kind of that last bastion, the last one that Apple needs to get to. A Mac Pro update is still believed to be on the way, but this week we're hearing that there might be one less processor choice. Mark Gurman says that Apple has apparently decided to eliminate plans for an M2 Extreme chip. That chip would reportedly have contained 48 CPU cores and 152 GPU cores, in essence doubling the M2 Ultra chip. That was kind of the strategy Apple took with the M1 The decision not to proceed with the extreme seems to be due to cost and complexity challenges. The Ultra will still not be a slouch. The chip will support up to 24 CPU cores and 76 GPU cores and be able to use up to 192 gigabytes of unified RAM. So still going to be a screaming machine, but it kind of sucks that we might lose the extreme sounding like the reason one of the big reasons was apple was going to probably have to price even the base model extreme at around 10k ten thousand dollars us so it was going to be really kind of an elite mac for a very small set of customers So I guess you can kind of see how that combined with complexity challenges in production would lead them to just say, hey, maybe we just don't need that one in the lineup. And they probably looked at the sales numbers, too, of the current Mac Pros. And I'm guessing that a lot of people just opt for the Ultra versus the Extreme configuration anyway. 
Gurman also noted that an M2 Pro Mac Mini is also still in the works, and both it and the M2 Ultra Mac Pro are slated for launch in 2023, along with an M2 Pro and M2 Max 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pro. Those models are expected earlier in the year, probably sometime in the first quarter. And he also said Apple is planning on updating their displays. There will be an updated Pro Display XDR and a second generation of the Apple Studio display. So we have a number of things to look forward to. And then finally, he noted that an M3 iMac update is also in the works, but that's likely not going to happen until late in 2023 so should be a good 2023 lots of new mac models and i am particularly looking forward to seeing what the mac pro ends up being and also that m2 pro mac mini i think that's going to be a very popular machine it was interesting here though there was no mention of the mac studio So curious how that's going to fit into the lineup and what Apple might do with that. My guess would be they'll probably hold off the studio until the M3 and do an M3 studio update. But uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens in 2023. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a moment and thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. You know, here at MacCast, we believe your home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. And right now, Simply Safe is offering MacCast listeners 40% off a new security system. So don't put this off. And here is what I love about Simply Safe. It's the ability to customize the system, the overall flexibility. I was able to start off with one of their systems that had everything I needed to get started. And as I became more familiar with it and my needs grew, like when I moved here to South Dakota, I could easily grow the system by simply adding on new sensors and cameras to monitor more areas of my property. And The setup and installation is a complete breeze, so you can get it out of the box and have it up and running in no time. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News & World Report for the third year in a row. In an emergency, their 24-7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get a priority response. Simply Safe is whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors to detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Their 24-7 professional monitoring service costs under $1 a day. That's less than half the price of ADT's traditional professionally installed system. And with the top-rated Simply Safe app, you stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. You can arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust your system settings. Don't miss your chance for a massive savings on my favorite security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash maccast today. That's simplysafe.com slash maccast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to them for their support of the show. You might remember from, I think it was the last episode, we had a question from a listener about 
HomeKit and can I randomize the turning off and on of my lights while I'm away from home on, say, vacation? They were going to be gone for about two weeks and wanted the ability to kind of randomize the lights to make it look like, hey, someone was home. Obviously, you don't want them in a pattern because anybody who might be monitoring the house could probably detect that and just determine, oh, they've just got some timers turned on and they're definitely away. So it sounds like a really cool feature. I didn't really know of a way you could actually do it built in. I kind of gave some suggestions, including just doing it manually remotely or maybe using something like some various shortcuts and things like that to kind of get it to be timed or maybe just setting up different scenes that you could trigger at different time points. So I had some ideas about it, but it wasn't like a built-in feature. I don't think it's part of, um, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty convinced it's not part of HomeKit. But I also believed that you in the community might have the answer to this question. And sure enough, Robert emailed me, who happens to be a smart home technology specialist, so probably someone who knows a lot more about this than I do, and he pointed out that the light switches from Lutron actually have this exact feature. It's available in their Cassetta and RA2 lines, and I'll have links to those and also to the how-to in the show notes at matcast.com, but those product lines have a feature that Lutron calls Smart Away. And according to them, quote, Smart Away can randomly turn lights on and off throughout a specified time range to make it look like someone is home. And the way the feature specifically works is that any lights that are selected during setup can be randomly turned on and off. The Smart Away feature will randomize the lights between the start times and end times that you pick. So what happens is the lights that are selected will be turned on once and turned off once between the start and stop times that were entered, but randomly. So you don't know when they're going to turn on or when they're going to turn off, but it will happen once within that kind of window. And so that kind of randomizes things for your lighting. So that is a really cool feature. And again, this is available on the Cassetta or the RA2 line. I think the RA2 line is more of a professional line. Cassetta looks to be, to me, the little more affordable option. Lutron tends to be on the higher end, but they're quality product. So worth looking into if you're looking for this kind of feature. And it again, it's available on their wall light switches and their dimmers. They also make an make plug-in outlet adapters for like lamps and they also have an outdoor adapter i don't know if this feature works for that as well but um well worth looking into and definitely solves the problem that our listener was asking about of course you're going to have to replace the light switches in your house but um cool feature nonetheless and definitely worth knowing about so thank you robert for sending that in and sharing that with our community Another thing we recently talked about here on the MacCast was how to check in macOS Ventura background apps that are running on your Mac. This is a new feature that's in the System Settings app. I'm still not a big fan of that app, but this feature I really do like. And you can go in, you can see what apps are, you know, available to run in the background and you can actually control them. And Vince wrote in to say thank you for that tip. But he also noted that while he was taking a look at his to see what was running in the background, not all of the apps in there seemed obvious as to why they were there 
or what they were doing. So he asked me, how do you know when it's not an obvious app like Backblaze or Microsoft Auto Updater or Adobe Creative Cloud, what is a legitimate app that should be running in the background versus what might potentially be malicious, something like spyware or malware? And I thought that was a really, really great question and kind of a good follow-up to this discussion. So I would say, first things first, uh, to use this feature, in case you missed it on the previous episode, you go into System Settings, you go under General, and then in Login Items, you'll see the Allow in Background list, and that will show you what is turned on and what is disabled, and you can go in and you can change those settings. Now, when you go in there, again, most of those items are going to be pretty clearly listed as the app or the developer, and hopefully they're all apps and developers that you recognize. You might also notice some items that say item from an unidentified developer. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's malicious. You could have legitimate reasons for having those on there. A lot of times, many of us, myself included, might install unsigned apps uh, deliberately, and it could be some of those. And uh, there could be a number of reasons. One nice thing about the apps that are labeled item from an unidentified developer is you'll see the little I or information icon next to that. When you click that, it will take you to where that application or that file is on your Mac. And so the path for that might be able to give you a clue as to what installed that. So in my case, for example, I had some Unix apps that were installed via Homebrew, and it was obvious when I clicked on that because they were in my Homebrew folder. And I also have an app that I use called MailServe for my web development that lets me send emails out through um, PostFix from my Mac. And that installs a bunch of binaries that were, again, self-signed, not officially signed, but I had installed deliberately. And uh, I was able to tell, okay, that's all related to the MailServe app. So even though they looked a little suspicious in my list, turned out they were things that I actually did install myself. So that was good news. And so you can use that as a potential starting point, Vince. But then the other thing is, I would just say, if that doesn't work, or if you can't figure it out from there, then Google is likely your best friend. So you can simply go in and just take the name of the developer you don't recognize or the application or process that you don't recognize and just plug that into Google. You might want to add like, you know, Mac OS onto it and then do a Google search and see what comes up. And for example, Vince had a background app called ISCSID or iSCSID. I think that's the iSCSI daemon. That was my first instinct. But I wasn't really sure, so I took that, I plugged it into Google, and I said Mac OS ISCSID, ISCSID, and did a quick Google search for it. And Google revealed, sure enough, that it was related to ISCSI. And my best guess is that probably, Vince, you have some sort of external hard drive or maybe a NAS drive or a RAID system or something like that that needed or can take advantage of iSCSI and probably installed some software to help support that. So probably something legitimate. He had a few other things on his list, but again, all of those things could probably be found through a simple Google search. 
So another thing that I find really nice about the system preference pane, even if you get in there and you can't figure out what one of these things is, you could simply toggle it off temporarily, see what happens if it has no impact on your system, and then just go about not having it run in the background. If you run into issues, you could just go toggle it back on again. So you could kind of do that to try and figure out if it's something you need, or maybe it's just something old that you simply forgot about and you really don't need anymore. So you could toggle it off. And if it doesn't impact your operations after, say, a month or a couple months or something like that, then simply go in and figure out how to remove it or uninstall it. And again, if something breaks, just toggle it back on again. And it's easy enough to do with those settings. So that's how I'd kind of approach it. Um, There may be some other tips and tricks from the community, but uh, yeah, thanks, Vince, for sending in that question. And then the last question I had for this week came from a listener, and it has to do with the latest updates for iOS, macOS, and tvOS that came out that contain the new Apple Music Sing feature. That's part of the lyrics. And what Sing does is it basically allows you to reduce the level or the amount of the vocal track on many of the songs on Apple Music so that you can sing along karaoke style. And it's a lot of fun. I was playing around with it uh, when it came out this week and it gives you the lyrics. It helps guide you, you know, it kind of lights up the words as the lyrics do as the song is playing. And then there's a little adjustment slider, a little microphone adjustment slider, and you can back off the lead vocals or bring them back up. And uh, it's really, really neat. And Daryl said he tried it out as well and was loving it. But he said, hey, Adam, do you know how it works? Because it works really, really well. The vocal suppression is really, really good. And that's not something that's easy to do. And he said, technically, I'd really like to to know. And I've done some searching and I haven't been able to find the answer. So he was thinking maybe I have some internal contacts who might know. And unfortunately, I really don't. But Daryl says, is it AI? Is it digital filtering? And I'm afraid I don't have any idea either. But I think we can speculate pretty well. And that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm hoping that maybe somebody in our community might know. Maybe there's some uh, developers that can secretly pass me the information. But um, yeah, I'm going to speculate that it's a mix of both of those things. A little bit of AI along with definitely digital filtering. I mean, that has to be going on. Uh, There are a couple interesting things I did notice about the uh, Apple Music Sing feature. And the first was it's available on iPhone 11 or later or iPhone SE third generation. And of course, you do have to be using the new iOS 16.2 or later. Also on the Apple TV, and this was a little bit frustrating because I would love to be able to use this on my Apple TV. I have an Apple TV 4K second generation. The Apple Music Sing feature unfortunately only works on the brand new Apple TV 4K third generation, the one that was released this year. And then the last thing that I noted about Apple Music Sing was on Apple's support article, it said when you enable it for a track that has the Dolby Atmos surround sound, it actually disables the surround sound while the Sing feature is active. So thinking it only works in stereo mode, probably to make things a little bit 
simpler to process, I would guess. Um, but what's interesting is the iPhone 11 has an A13 Bionic. And the Apple TV 4K second generation has an A12 Bionic chip. So I think the chip is coming into play here. And to me, that seems to point to the fact that there's some kind of technology that's in the A13 or later chips that makes this thing work. And my guess would be it's probably the more advanced neural engine. And if that's the case then I would assume that they're using some level of AI machine learning to actually analyze the track in real time as it's playing to better be able to figure out how to filter out and suppress those vocals without sacrificing the backing music or the music itself and keeping that nice and clear and clean. That stuff is really hard to do. I've been, you know, a podcaster. I'm definitely not an audio engineer, but I've been a podcaster long enough to know that filtering out specific sounds or specific things within a complex audio track is really, really difficult to do with just, you know, tools and dials and and settings and stuff like that. You have to be able to isolate those things. And I would imagine AI and machine learning play a big part of this. And it's probably some pretty intense real-time processing, which is why they need a more modern version of the chip. But that's my best guess. I unfortunately don't know for sure, Daryl, and I wish I could answer your question. And maybe, again, once we get this out in the community, someone actually can. I'm sure there'll be some articles on it in the future because it's pretty incredible actually how good it is. I completely agree with you on that standpoint. So if you haven't updated yet and you haven't had a chance to play around with this, and especially if you enjoy singing uh, at all along with the music, say in your car, something like that, it's it's worth checking out this feature. And I think it's going to be really fun at parties and stuff like that too. So it almost makes me, I said almost, because I don't think I need another Apple TV 4K. It almost makes me want to buy a new Apple TV 4K third generation though so maybe i have a new item for my christmas list (laughs) we'll have to wait and see but with that that is going to do it for this episode of the mac cast thank you for hanging out with me before i leave you i'd like to thank cashfly for providing the bandwidth for the MacCast. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And note that all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. And they are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, of course, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast, or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.